In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So Christ says today that no one can plunder a strong man's house unless he first binds the strong man and then he can enter and plunder his goods. What does that mean? How how can we understand this this uh, analogy that he says we first must bind the strong man in order to enter the house of this strong man and plunder his goods and take what's theirs. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of like binding someone, I, I think of, you know, getting some ropes or something, or tying them down, maybe some handcuffs, something to cripple that person. Or maybe like if you, uh, you think about some video games you might play at the end of a level, you typically have a big boss and each boss has a certain weakness and you gotta find like the weak point of the boss and you gotta attack them depending on what that specific weakness is. So for, for you to actually bind this strong man, it would be a good idea to identify the strong man and figure out what, what really cripples him, you know? So the first question we got to ask ourselves is, who is this strong man that Jesus is talking about? So clearly it's in the context of their accusations that he's casting out Satan by the power of Beelzebub. Right? So he goes and tells them that no one can, can have a house if it's divided. And so he's responding and telling them that Satan, this strong man is not cast out by his his own army, right? It's that he needs to be bound and crippled in order for us to go and plunder his goods. And we know that his goods are those that he holds captive, like those that he tries to suppress. Okay, so the strong man is Satan himself. Right? So now that you know which boss you're going to fight at the end of this level... You know what their uh, identity is. So you could try to find out their weakness so that you could bind this person or, or cripple this person. So the next question is, how can we defeat sin? And now, this is a very simple question, even though it's a huge question. But where do we see Satan crushed? On the cross, right? We say in the refrain during all of Pesca, what does that mean? I'm getting a bunch of blank stares. <laughs> Who was crucified on the cross and trampled Satan under our feet. Right? So it's the cross that crushes Satan. It's the cross that cripples him and binds him. Okay? So... You'll even remember in Revelations, there's like a, a, a part where the beast comes out of the waters and you see that there's a slain lamb, the one who has defeated the beast. And that slain lamb, we know, is Christ himself. Right? So, it is by his crucifixion that Satan is crushed. Like the, the very act of sacrificing himself, that love, that self-emptying act, is what bound Satan. 
So if we try to make this connection and really try to identify the core of what cripples Satan, and since we say it's the cross, then it must be love and humility that cripples Satan, that binds us from it. It's not a tight rope. It's not like strong handcuffs. It's not like a silver bullet (laughs) or something special. But it's love. It's sacrifice. It's humility. It's humility that crushes Satan, binds him, and cripples him. Satan went to St. Macarius one time and he was just irritated at how how tough it is to 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 challenge the the monks and how he's you know struggling to make them fall so he says like what is it about you like why why are you still standing and fighting like why can't i break you like we do everything that you do you fast and you eat very little we don't even eat at all you sleep very little Maybe an hour or two. We don't sleep at all. You know the Bible very well. We've got the scriptures memorized from the top to bottom. So what is it? Like, why can't we break you? And Saint Macarius told them the only thing that you can't imitate that differentiates us is humility. See, every virtue can come by by effort you know a lot of good qualities can come by effort except humility you can put your effort to be brave you can put your effort to be obedient without even knowing god actually some of the most obedient people in the world soldiers in the army you have courageous brave heroes you have people that are the most patient people in the world that don't even know God. All those virtues can come from the world. Okay? Of course, we don't try to attain those virtues from the world. We try to attain them by imitating Christ. But the only thing the world can't imitate is humility because humility comes from God. Humility is the identity of God. What defines God? His incarnation his crucifixion, the very heart of who he is, is humility. If you remember in a hymn, O Monogenes, in Pascha, I know I'm going back to Holy Week a little bit, but it's one of my favorite hymns. We say, Holy Mighty, who by weakness showed forth that which is greater than strength. So you want to find strength to bind the strong man? Maybe you're fighting some demons in your life. Maybe you feel crippled by boredom, by laziness. Maybe you feel crippled by a sense of selfishness that really limits your service or your prayer or whatever it is. You want to cripple the demons that are harassing your mind with evil thoughts, lustful thoughts? Think about how Christ did it. He said, who by weakness showed forth that which is greater than strength. Greater than strength. Like there's strength and then there's greater than strength. That's what he showed by humbling himself. An act that looked so weak. 
The same Paul says was a stumbling to the Greeks and foolishness to the Gentiles. St. Anthony was asking the Lord after seeing so many traps that were set by the demons as he was fighting in his spiritual struggle. And he told him, there's just so many traps everywhere. How can I navigate through my spiritual life when every moment there's a temptation, every moment there's a trap, every moment there's a pitfall waiting for me? And he heard a voice telling him one word, humility. Humility becomes our anchor. It becomes the strongest weapon. We have to turn the other cheek. That's what humility means. When someone offends us, it's to forgive and forget. Sounds so simple, but it's not easy. It's not easy. That's why it's the most powerful thing. That's why we we see it at the pinnacle of all the virtues. So... How do we attain it? I mean, if we're identifying something so powerful, something so critical, it's necessary. Without it, we can't fight the spiritual fight. So how do we attain it? Do we just walk around saying, Ana al-khati, we put our heads down, and la la la, tfaddal, go ahead, I'm, I'm trying to be humble. Is that how we do it? It could be a part of it, but it's definitely not the heart of it. Okay? There's actually a story when a monk that is famous for seeing visions, all these manifestations would come to him, and a few disciples want to ask him, how can we also reach this level of seeing visions and seeing like the glory of heaven and the saints? It sounds... Magnificent. We want to, we want to be able to see that. He said, my son, the only thing I pray to see are my sins. Humility is to have a conscious reality of our condition. That's why the fathers identify humility with truth. Humility is nothing but truth. If I'm honest with myself, I'm going to see plenty to humble me. <laughs> I just need one moment to look at my heart and I see so much hypocrisy, pride. I just need clear eyes and a moment of truth. That's why when the prodigal son was far, the scripture says when he came to himself, he said, shoot, I just messed up. He realized that he's a mess. Came to the reality of truth, right? Before we can live a life of humility with the expression and Activity and behavior that relates to that life of humility, all the external expressions, the behavior, there must be an internal condition of humility. Deep down inside, this must be my reality. Then the outward behavior will follow. Okay, but deep down inside, I need to know my poverty. I need to know that I am nothing. And once I know that, I can hold on to God. It's the easiest thing in the world to to cry out for a, a life vest when you know you're drowning. Who of us in this world 
would be so foolish that if they were drowning, they wouldn't cry out for help. Wouldn't say, I need help. Because if I'm drowning in my sins and my weaknesses and my laziness, my pride, my hypocrisy, it's so easy to tell God, I need you. But the consciousness inside needs to be present. As a monk was praying, as he was progressing in his faith and reached a high level of purity, an angel came to him from heaven and told him, I have come to you that God may reveal to you deeper mysteries and revelations because you've reached such a holy level and such a high level of faith. The monk told him, I'm sorry, you must have the wrong cell. <laughs> the holy monk you're talking about is next door. <laughs> I don't know, maybe in your spiritual navigation from heaven to my cell, something got misdirected. You're probably trying to navigate to the guy next door. I, I, I'm not the holy guy you're looking for. And immediately, the demon that was disguised as an angel vanished. A lot of times we're fooled to think, that we can crush Satan by physical strength, the strength of this world, fighting back, you know, holding your ground. And if you forgive, you forget. If you love, if you sacrifice, if you put your time at the disposal of somebody that might waste your time, you think that's weakness. But that's precisely what Christ did. St. Anthony had a disciple that came to live with him and in the first few days just as he was you know, getting settled in somebody came and brought a man who was demon possessed to St. Anthony and so St. Anthony told his disciple you go and cast out the demon and so he responded and said like dude I just got here I'm barely getting settled in. I don't know anything about the spiritual life. You're St. Anthony. You've done this a million times. You got this one. Like, no, no, no. Go and cast out the demon. So, you know, one of the primary qualities of monasticism is obedience. So he obeyed and he went. You know, it's it's hot in the desert. It's scorching in the middle of the day. And he goes... The man who's demon-possessed looks frightening, but, you know, he's still going to hold his ground. And he says, I command you by the name of Christ to come out. And the devil just laughs at him. He says, Christ, I know, but I don't know you. I don't have to listen to you. So at this point, he's kind of like confused. What else do I do? Oh, okay. St. Anthony is the man because... All the demons fear him. So he says, I command you by the name of Christ and St. Anthony, come out of him. Again, the devil just laughs. He says, yeah, I know Christ, I know St. Anthony, but I don't know you, I don't have to listen to you. And again, it's like scorching hot. If you guys have been to the desert out there, you know what I mean. <laughs> it's like 110 degrees, 120 degrees in the middle of the day. And, you know, the type of shoes that they wear, like very thin shoes. But he said, 
I'm not going anywhere until you come out. I was commanded to come out. I was commanded to cast you out. And so, I don't know how to cast you out, but I know God will will get the job done. So I'm just going to stand here until you come out. And again, in the scorching heat, his feet start blistering and bleeding. And hours go by until the end of the night. And then he says, by your faith and your patience, you have cast me out. This is St. Paul the Simple, the disciple of St. Anthony. He came to a point where he says, I can't, but God can. That's the most powerful statement to engrave in our hearts. I can't, but God can. That sort of humility is what produces a life of love and a life of sacrifice. That sort of humility is what defines the saints. That's what binds Satan. That's what gives us freedom. I'll just leave you with a final story. And this is... This is a person that... I would personally put on an icon. Even though he's not a Coptic Orthodox saint. But he's truly a saint in my eyes. Have you ever heard of Desmond Doss? Yeah, okay, I see a couple of people shaking their heads. Hacksaw Ridge, a wonderful movie from World War II. Okay? Uh, this guy's a Seventh day Adventist. So he was a Christian, but not from our tradition, although you'll see quite a lot to learn from when you look at his life. I highly encourage you to watch the movie Hacksaw Ridge. But it's the time of World War II, and he's a pacifist. He doesn't believe in killing or, or using violence to, to make peace or to fight. But he wanted to support the war. He didn't know how to do that because he doesn't believe in carrying a gun. So he said, I'll go serve as, as a medic, like, to go serve as a nurse just to go help medically. So he refused to carry a rifle and they they gave him the hardest time in the world just to register because he didn't want to carry a rifle. But he said, legally I'm not obligated to if my role is to serve as a medic. And I'll go out on the battlefields and I'll help but I'm not carrying a rifle. So once he was admitted, he was with a group of people that were serving with him in his camp. And of course, when you're going out to battle, you know people are shooting at you. And you know that the guy next to you isn't going to carry a rifle. He's not going to shoot the guy that's shooting at you. You're going to get a little offended. (laughs) So everybody looks at this guy that seems to be self-righteous or a coward because he's not going to go out there and shoot the bad guys with them. So they feel offended and they do everything they can possibly do to get him kicked out. Every day, his own people, his own camp would beat him up until he could barely walk. Every day. And he would just take it and he said, I'm still going to fight and support. Even though the people that I'm going to support, 
<laughs> don't really like me too much. So, there's this battle in Hacksaw Ridge in which they were going up against the Japanese. And basically you would climb up this cliff and then there's a plateau where the battle was happening. So it got really, really bad and they started to call back the troops. But at this point the troops were already like deep in the battle. But the Japanese had launched an airstrike. It was like raining bombs. Everywhere you would go, it was like fire coming down on Sodom and Gomorrah. So all the troops are heading back. At this point, there's like a very critical moment. A critical moment in the movie and a critical moment in the life of Desmond Doss. Because at this point, he could turn back and say, I got to take care of myself. <laughs> like, it's basically uh, by chance or by luck that I'll survive even if I run back. Like anything could just fall out of the sky and destroy you. Or I can put my own preference, my own needs on the side and stick around and help the people that are wounded. And so he decides to stay. And he doesn't just stay during the day. He stays there the whole night until the very next day. And he single-handedly brought down 75 people down a rope, down this high cliff in which he would lower them down. And the whole time he's just praying, God, give me one more. He would save one person. And he would walk back thinking, I did my part. Now it's time to take care of myself. Like That's enough. But he would walk back to the battleground and say, God, give me one more. One more person that I could serve. One more person that I could love. Seventy-five people to the extent that when he would see a wounded Japanese soldier... He would pick him up too. Tie him up, lower him down. He became the first conscientious objector to receive the Medal of Honor. America's highest reward for courage under fire. The first conscientious objector to receive such a high honor. Captain Jack, the captain that used to mock him, and used to participate in the beatings that would happen before this battle as they were trying to get him out of the army. He said this, Even though I said those things about him carrying a rifle and that he would never be by my side, said, I would never allow this guy to be by my side. Even though I said those things. Then finding out that he was one of the bravest persons alive, then having him save my life, was the irony of the whole thing. I pray that God may give us the humility to love and to serve unto Him is due all glory forever and ever. Amen.